0: To Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 in its entirety will be our text this evening. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 46 falls in the midst of a series of psalms that are entitled for, or more literally, of the sons of Korah. Psalms 42 through 49 are psalms thought to be written by these musicians among the Levites. The heading of the psalm speaks of it as a song upon Alamoth. While we don't know for sure what that last term means, Alamoth is used only once in the inspired scriptures, and that in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 20, where in light of verses 19 and 21, it apparently refers to a musical instrument, unknown to us, which carried a high pitch. Perhaps it was an instrument that God used to carry the thoughts of his people toward heaven. If so, it certainly is fitting that this psalm be accompanied by such an instrument. As we approach our consideration of this psalm, Psalm 46, there's one important matter to bear in mind. The psalms are not theoretical discussions of particular truth. They are not philosophical reflections of certain sons of Korah or Asaph or Moses or David or whomever God inspired to write an individual psalm. The psalms arose out of the circumstances of real life. They bring to expression the praises that arise from the real ways in which God reveals his faithfulness to us, his powerful deliverance, they express the very real experience of our own struggles as well as the joys of the sustaining arm of our merciful Heavenly Father. So in discussing Psalm 46... We want to approach this psalm asking the questions and looking at the context in which Psalm 46 applies to our lives and our circumstances that we might join in singing from the heart this inspired song. The psalm itself is divided, you notice, into three parts. Distinct, yet standing together, and you can see that very clearly because each of the three parts is concluded by "sila." That term was apparently a musical pause. And the idea of it is, let this sink in. Let this sink in. What we've just expressed, what we've just sung, let it sink in. Embrace it by faith. That's the idea of the sila. So there are three of those in this psalm. Three pauses. The first at the end of verse 3, the second at the end of verse 7, and the third at the end of verse 11. It's really very similar to an expression spoken frequently by Christ in the New Testament. He that hath an ear, let him hear. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As I call your attention to this psalm by way of overview, we must look at each of those three sections with that in mind be still and know that I am God, will certainly be the consequence of what I would have you see. But as we consider the entire psalm, I call your attention to the theme, Behold your God. Look upon your God. How often do we take the time to contemplate to think upon our God. In the midst of our lives, in our work, in our relationships, our trials, our trivial pursuits of pleasure, how much time do we give to thinking about our God? The psalmist would have us look upon God How necessary that is for us. As we consider that theme, behold your God, I want you to see in him three things that arise from the three parts of this psalm He is our refuge, He is our companion, He is our sovereign. Behold your God, our refuge our companion, our sovereign. In the opening verses of Psalm 46, we are called to behold God as our refuge, the protector and strength of his people in the face of any and every difficulty. We are not given the exact historical circumstances of the setting of this psalm. Any attempt to place this psalm in a particular chronological place in the Bible is really only speculation. But this much is clear concerning this: the historical setting. The psalm arises in a situation in which the people of God had found themselves in troublesome times. That much is clear. That's established already in the first verse. Farther down in the psalm, we read in verse 6, the heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. From verse 9, we see that there had been wars. Wars fought in that hand-to-hand combat and brutal fighting of that day with the bow and spear with horses pulling chariots right into the bloody throes of the conflict. You realize those chariots were not armored tanks, were they, boys and girls? In addition, there is anticipation in the psalm of the possibility of even greater calamities. Notice verses 2 and 3. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. You know, those last expressions are vivid pictures to us who live in mountainous regions, pictures of the rivers coming, cascading down the mountain sides in flash floods, displacing massive boulders, shaking the sides of the mountain and the canyons with walls of raging water. That's the picture. What a descriptive expression of the turmoil that we face sometimes in the calamities of our lives. What turmoil do godly parents suffer when their son says to them, I'm an atheist. I reject everything about my upbringing, I want nothing to do with God or his word. What shaking of the soul to a God-fearing family when a daughter says, I no longer believe what the Bible teaches about the distinctions between male and female. And that God made marriage for one man and one woman for life. I'm a lesbian. What shakes us more? The mountains falling into the sea or the police officer that comes to the door to tell us of a death in a wreck. What shakes us more? When, we, when you consider Psalm 46, no matter what the historical occasion might have been, it's a situation in which trouble is the chief characteristic. You can use terms or expressions as calamities, natural disasters, upheaval, apostasy, Opposition to the church and truth of God. War, raging, death, devastation wrought by sin in families, which is certainly evident in many places in the Bible in the Old Testament. Destruction, economic turmoil. You can certainly sense, can you not, the relevance of this setting to the church today, we need a help. We need to behold our God. We need to know him as a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In the declaration of the text, there's not only the assertion God is, but God is our refuge and strength. When our souls are gripped with turmoil and anguish, we must stand before the unchangeable truth that God is our refuge and strength. If we listen to the media hype of various events, and we find ourselves afraid, we must hear the call, Behold your God! If we stand before the tanking of the markets and begin to lose sleep over our investments, we need to remember God is and is God alone. He sovereignly governs all these things. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Even, yes, even of those viruses that sometimes lay us low and the cancer cells that bring expression to the consequences of life in this fallen and broken world. He's the sustainer of the universe who sovereignly executes his will and accomplishes his good purpose in everything. You see, it doesn't take us to define God's will and purpose. After all, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. He doesn't answer to you or to me. And in this psalm, The psalmist simply declares the reality. He doesn't argue. He doesn't seek to prove. He simply says, Behold your God. What changes might we face in the next few months? What might we face this week? We really have no idea, do we? We don't know our lives from one day to the next. Which is why we must always live in the consciousness, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. How quickly will the anti-Christian movement continue to seize our culture? How long before we are facing persecution experienced by many Christians in other parts of the world? You see, I call your attention to these things, these examples, not because I want you to focus on those scary things. We do think about those things from time to time. But if you're focusing on those things... You're only increasing your anxiety. Behold your God. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea, we belong to the unchangeable God who rules over all. Now don't overlook this. The text speaks of him as Our God. Do you know him that way? This psalm is a confession of faith. Each section of the psalm emphasizes that. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Behold your God. The one who is majestic in holiness. The one who alone is God is our refuge and strength. Jehovah, the one eternally faithful to his covenant who always looks upon his people in Christ Jesus, who accomplishes his eternal purpose in the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, Ephesians 1 verse 5, is our God. The one who sovereignly reigns over the hosts of heaven and earth, guiding all things according to his counsel. Is our God. Think about this. Behold your God. The problem with fallen man, our problem when our old sinful nature is not kept in subjection, is that we tend to think about God as if He was. Or perhaps shall be. But we tend to lose sight of him in the midst of our present calamities. We tend to live as if God did this great work in the past. And showed himself always faithful to his people. Seeing them always in the promised Messiah. Messiah we tend to confess quite easily that he's coming again in the future as the exalted Lord Christ. But right now, the earth is being removed. The waters are roaring. We're being carried away by the floods of our own tribulations. The heathen are raging. The cultures collapsing. And we lose sight of the fact God is. He is right now. He is Jehovah, the I AM, always faithfully sustaining, carefully upholding, in perfect wisdom, guiding us, ever looking upon us in His Son, in whom is our life and our salvation. Let us understand the doctrine of God's immutability, his unchangeableness. Is not a theological abstraction. Remember Matthew 6 verse Matthew 3, no, not Matthew, Malachi verse 6. In the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3 verse 6 God says, for I am the Lord Jehovah I change not. You think that's a theological abstraction? Here's what that means. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. In the midst of the present calamities, behold your God. Therefore will not we fear? How I need that word. You too? But the psalm would have us see more. Even far more of our God than that he is our refuge. He's our companion. What an amazing truth is set forth in the second section of this psalm, verses 4 through 7. In the Hebrew picture language the inspired poet is given to use, he would have us look upon our covenant God. He calls us to behold the relationship in which God stands to his people in the midst of all the troubles that we face. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Let that sink in. Behold your God. In a sense, we come here to the heart of the psalm. The Hebrew language here pictures something that would have been a wonderful scene to the saints familiar with the city of God. The background here is that Jerusalem suffered her entire history with a less than bountiful supply of water. The city was situated at a high point in an area of the country that had no rainfall for half the year. The river Kidron ran by the city but had no adequate supply of water for the whole city. Ultimately, during the reign of Hezekiah, a tunnel was built, and it was an amazing work of engineering at the time. That tunnel was built as an aqueduct to funnel water from various springs in the limestone hills to run into the, through the walls of the city into a pool known as the Pool of Shaloah, or in the New Testament, John 9, Siloam. And from there, the people could obtain their necessary water by bucket. The fear of the city in ancient times was, and that was certainly demonstrated in the Bible, was that of having the water supply cut off in an attack. No water supply meant no ability to hold off the enemy. It would only be a matter of time and not very long, and the city would succumb and collapse before the enemy. Now remember, the city of which we sing here is the city of God. She's the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And as Hebrews 12, verse 22 makes clear, the city of God is a reference to the church, to those whose names are written in heaven. The essence of that church is found in the fact that she is united to Christ by faith. The peculiar glory of Jerusalem was seen in the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. You will notice that verse 4 speaks of tabernacles in the plural. There were tabernacles of the Most High found in various locations throughout the land of Judah, each being a reflection of the tabernacle, God's peculiar dwelling place, It's much the same way that each congregation today is a reflection of the glorious church of God gathered in Christ throughout history. And each of those tabernacles of the Most High was precious in God's sight. That was true because at the heart of the tabernacle was the holy place in which was found the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat, or the Atonement Cover, revealing the shed blood of the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom alone we have fellowship with the Holy One, the Most High God. The psalm emphasizes, however, that For God to be our companion is only possible by the wonder work of his grace revealed in the provision of living waters, which is a reference to Christ and all the blessings of salvation that flow from him. The river, the streams whereof, shall make glad the city of God is the river of the water of life. A never-failing river which always provides refreshment and comfort to the people of God. It is the same river promised in Psalm 36, verses 8 and 9. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them Drink of the river of thy pleasures, for with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22 verse 1, speaks of the final realization of this prophecy. As the inspired apostle John was given to write, And he showed me pure river of the water of life. Clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Noteworthy it is that this water, the water of this river is pure. Clear as crystal. Doesn't have to be filtered lest we become sick. The source of this water is the God of our salvation through Jesus Christ. That river that flows through Jerusalem is the energizing stream of the life of God himself in and through Jesus Christ and by his Holy Spirit. It symbolizes, therefore, the constant flow of the life-giving Spirit of God in Christ, which alone makes glad the city of God. This water provides all the nutrients necessary for life in the tabernacle of the Most High, the doctrines and promises of the Gospel, all the means of grace, the riches of our life in Christ, the grace wherein we stand and by which we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, Romans 5, verse 2, are all ours in that water of life. As we look around in this troubled world, and as we face the trials of our pathway, Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The streams of this water make glad the city of God. That gladness, let us understand, isn't simply the gladness that comes from sitting by a riverside and enjoying the peaceful sound and the beauty of of the flowing streams of water. This is gladness that comes from drinking this water, finding relief from the weighty burdens of our journey through what the Bible calls this waste-howling wilderness. This is the gladness that comes from drinking with the mouth of faith and partaking, therefore, of the joy of knowing that Which we testify in verse 5, God is in the midst. And verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Who can explain that? How is it that God dwells with us? With me? We drink of that living water who is Christ the one who came to save his people from their sins and to reconcile us unto God. Not only do we say, therefore, but that God is. We say God is with us. God is our companion with a capital C. He's our friend beyond comparison to any earthly friend. The heathen rage. Indeed they do. But God is in the midst of us. We shall not be moved. God shall help us. And that right early. Behold your God. Finally, we are called to look upon the sovereignty of our God. Sovereignty is a term with which people are not so well acquainted in our day. It speaks of God's absolute rule over everything. Most have a problem with that today. And by nature, the same is true of us. That's why we have to hear the call that issues from this psalm In verses 8 and 9, come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Do you see what the psalmist is telling us? what the Spirit would have us see, because of who God is and because of the relationship in which we stand to him in Jesus Christ, we may know that all things work together for good to us who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. God is the one who forms the mountains and who keeps them in their places. But when he sees fit to rumble them a bit, to shake up the established order, that's fine because it's the work of his hand. And he is my God, my companion, and my refuge. Yes, verse 8 reminds us clearly, unmistakably, desolations, those terrible catastrophes in creation that cause us to tremble are God's work. The Bible demonstrates that again and again. Those events serve God's purpose and accomplish his will. To many They reveal that the Most High God is terrible. Those events demand that we worship Him in reverence and godly fear. He will be exalted among the heathen, He will be exalted in the earth. When He shakes, The economies of the world, because again, he is sovereign also over the world's economies as Revelation 6 verses 5 and 6 clearly teaches, as does Haggai chapter 1 and other passages with respect to your finances and mine, when God shakes the economy we may know that he is accomplishing his wise purpose and calling us to trust in him. That's not to belittle the effects that we might experience. Any kind of disaster is difficult and puts us to the test. But our God is bigger than any trial we face. Don't forget that. Behold your God. So we hear him say to us, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. God calls for our attention. God is speaking. And when our inclination is to complain about our trials, to forget him who is in control of all things, he says, be still and know that I am God. Do you silence yourself before him? Do you hear him as he proclaims his promise to you and points you to Christ? Stop and listen. Harness your wandering thoughts. Slow down your racing mind. We don't need to know tomorrow. Behold your God, now. He holds tomorrow in his hands. He's the unchangeable Jehovah of hosts, an awesome God. As we we look upon him, the Spirit applying his word to our heart, We confess with joy the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe before Thee, who alone art God, And we give thanks that thou hast revealed thyself to us in Jesus Christ and drawn us unto thee in cords of love to show us that thou art our refuge, our companion, our sovereign. Give us grace, Lord, to trust in thee